You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm Grace Chapenka. I'm Chelsea Rowan. This is your favorite weekly podword crosscast. But speaking of being a weekly crosscast, we have a bit of a sad announcement to make at the top of the episode. I just wanted to get right into it because I didn't want to keep putting it off. But um, yeah, you may have noticed lately that we've kind of been dropping the ball a bit on uploading episodes and doing the polls and just in general, not bringing the same amount of energy and attention that we used to to the podcast. But basically, you know, we're kind of in a very busy season of our lives right now, like work-wise, personally, there's just a lot going on. And we've gotten so busy to the point where doing the podcast kind of feels like an extra chore that we have to do instead of something that we're really looking forward to doing, which is how we started the podcast. Like we were always very excited to do it. Um, but again, this is like 172 episode. We've been doing it for three years and yeah, it's just starting to feel a bit more like a chore now than it used to before. Which we definitely don't want it to feel like. Um, and so this is not the end, but mm-hmm. we are going to go on like a little bit of a break um and you know we're gonna reconvene in 2024 restructure i hate to use that word but we're gonna think about how we can make this podcast more sustainable so that we can be here with you guys because this really does bring us so much joy um and you know grace and i both just chatted about how much we love doing our we love having our little trivia and we love talking to people about what we do on this podcast so um, you know, we may have a different upload schedule, we may do more scheduled breaks, etc. But yeah, we will be back in 2024. Same us, same crosscast, just different look potentially. Right. And if someone could figure out how to make this our full-time job, then we would do it. <laughs> For <laughs> sure. This, this would be incredible to be a full-time job. Yes. But we both do work full-time and as we've you know, grown up in doing this podcast, our jobs, unfortunately, have gotten harder or more stressful. So, you know, we're just kind of at a break point. But yes, we do want to come back, potentially a different upload schedule, more built-in breaks, more, you know, maybe seasons type things. Right now we're on, <laughs> we're technically in season two, I think, because we took a little break last year, I believe, over New Year's. Um, but yeah, we're still at episodes, there's like 100 episodes per season, essentially. Um, but yes, we, we really appreciate all of our listeners, um, those of you that are out there who've stuck with us and like, we really have loved doing the podcast, um, and it's something that is important to us, but we're just burnt out and, you know, we feel like you guys deserve us fully showing up how we want to. And that's also how I want to show up. Exactly. And I, I just feel like I don't want to continue dropping the ball and, Unfortunately, that's kind of where life has put us at this moment. And this is something we love so much that it upsets us when we can't be here 100%. So, um, yeah, that's why your girls need a break. Just a mm-hmm. break. And and we're still friends, FYI, in case people think that it's like we're sick of each other. Unfortunately, we still hang out constantly outside of the podcast. So Truly, yeah. Voice messages all day. Hanging out on the weekends. Like, yeah. So don't worry. It, it, I mean, I can't get rid of her. I, I've been like, let's go on a break on this podcast. And she's like, okay, and you want to hang out? I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm just kidding. It's like, don't talk to me until January, please. 
<laughs> no, unfortunately, we will have to be talking to each other forever because, well, the podcast is going to come back and also, you know, BFFs for life. It is what it is. Right. BFFL. It's in the contract. Um, shall we get into our heights and shites? Speaking of, for our last episode before the break, let's let's get into our heights and shites and let's let's do our let's do our thing. By the way, I am very excited about my topic today. I worry that we may have the same one again. <laughs> oh no! Are you excited about yours? I'm excited, but I don't think there's times that I've been like really excited, like you know when you were really excited about your dolphin topic or like yeah, no, no, I'm not at that level, but. That's not, I'm not to that level either. I think this is like a fitting topic for me to end on before our break, but I don't think it's anything that mm, you, okay. you could do this topic, but I don't think it's something you would be excited about. All right, then it's fingers not fingers crossed because we had some wild episodes in the last like month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Why don't you, you want to give us a start? Sure. I'll start, start with the Monday, September 18th, New Yorker by Elizabeth C. Gorski. Um, 38 across. I just thought. This was funny because the answer was balls. And then the way she clued it was crystal forms. So I was like, that's a very nice way to clue that. I love when constructors do like take a word that could be pretty gratuitous, but you know what I mean. Vulgar. Vulgar. Um, and then clue in very innocuous. <laughs> yep. Um, 55 down. Game with wild cards. Uno. Of course. Crazy eight. Um, and then this one, it took me forever to figure out why this was what it was. 50 down, copy center request abbreviated, and it was ENL. And I was like, what's ENL? Like, yeah, I what Googled it. I was like, is that a way to like collate papers? I don't know. And then I was like, oh, abbreviated for enlarge. Oh, enlarge. I wouldn't have right. known that, even though I have worked in a mailroom. I know. That was a, a new thing I learned about Chelsea the other day. <laughs> yeah, just like has a random array of jobs in her backpack. Be like, oh, yeah, when I worked in the mailroom, we did this. <laughs> That's true. I, it's strange. It's very strange. That's all I have from that one. I did the Friday, September 15th, New Yorker by Emily Carroll. Um, shout out to one of our very, 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 very early episodes, um, which kind of set the tone for some of the topics that Grace and I would pick over the lifespan of the podcast. 20 across, fat sometimes used to, or added to bird feed, and the answer was suet. Remember when I did suet as a topic all the way back in episode five? Wait, did you do suet or did I do? Oh, no, you did suet. I did, I did the I one. Did... What's the bat poop one? Oh, that's a, uh... oh, I can't, or, the only thing that comes to mind is Ipecapuana, which is not the bat. No, that's the stuff that makes you not puke. Let me see. Let me see here. Um, but episode five is called Fat and Flaccid. Grace did queer cinema. That's the flaccid element of that title. And I did fat as in suet, which mm -hmm. is more by the Brits. Oh, guano. Right. Yes. Yeah. Do not get those two confused in your Do recipes. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but outside of that clue, the theme was really fun. Um, okay. So. 34 across, parameters for a construction project, or read another way, what the last words of 17, 23, 49, and 54 across might be used for. And the answer was building specs. And so essentially what this clue is doing is the, the last words of the themed answers 
um, is you could use to make glasses, specs, like to build specs, spectacles. Mm-hmm. Just stick with me. Okay, here we go. 17 across places of worship for many Tibetans, and the answer is Buddhist temples. So this part of the glasses is called a temple. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so building specs, temples, right? Um, features of some margaritas, salted rims. This is 23 across. So rims mm-hmm. for specs. 49 across, camera attachments with variable focal lenses, zoom lenses. Wait, very focal Variable lens. focal lengths. Okay. My bad. Focal lenses. They would never. I was like, wait a minute. Even Grace immediately was like, wait, what did you just say? Um, 54 across, say? structure. <laughs> um, structure that provides a direct uh, pedestrian route between Chinatown and downtown Brooklyn. And the answer was Manhattan Bridge, Bridge of the Nose, Spectacles. I feel like I described this theme horrifically, essentially. No, the, no. The revealer was building specs. How do you build specs? With temples, with lenses, with rims and bridges. And it's true. Um, also, 25 down, boozy midday outing. And the answer was liquid lunch, which I'd heard before. But I was like, is that what people call that when they go out to drink at lunch? I thought that was just like, people still just called that like brunch, right? Liquid lunch feels like. What they do in Wolf of Wall Street. Right. I feel like liquid lunch has more of a, like, the lunch you take during work vibe. Than you right. Drink. Right. Yeah. Like, are you a high-profile lawyer and you go out with your clients and you have, like, a ton of margaritas at, like, your local Applebee's? Or do you walk, work on Wall Street and drink a ton of, I don't know, gin martinis? Whatever they drink. I at the hotel bar. We sometimes at work would go out for lunch and some people would order, like, a drink. Not regularly by any means if it was like a big lunch or whatever but i'd be like that's the last thing i want to do is like drink a margarita and then do accounting that sounds awful working (laughs) in the industry that we work in it's not unheard of for people to do something like that but like yeah it's like i'm at an indian restaurant with all of the company here and i'm i'm like just making sure that i could get my food in and get to the bathroom (laughs) if i need to not like have to worry about whether or not i'm too drunk to go back to the office right crazy TL, uh, what's that? Uh, TMI, but that's that's me. What can I say? Um, anyway, that's what I have from the Friday Emily Carroll puzzle from the New Yorker. Well, I did the Tuesday New Yorker, September 19th by Wynalu. Classic. Lots of good ones here. One across, group unlikely to wait in line. The answer was A-list. Oh, like us, you and I. Yep. Um, 14, one might be worn after a surgery. Cone of shame. <gasps> shout oh, out to your dog. dog shout out to my dog which if uh, you if, have, if you need recommendations for cones of shame folks i went through quite a few of them to find the best option that is comfortable it doesn't make sounds when they smack into things <laughs> but it still keeps them away from their sides and stuff like that so just let me know i got i got plenty of records for you she's got a referral link for you um, 20 across, unfinished story, perhaps, question mark, and the answer is basement. Oh, nice. Um, 57 across, device for making pizza bagels or tuna melts, and the answer was toaster oven. I just, that made me hungry and want. Oh my pizza god, bagels. yeah. Um, legendary, or 10 down, legendary Egyptian king credited with founding the city of Memphis, and it's Menes. Or means I actually don't know, but I just like this because I like 
not that I always forget. It's not like it's at the top of my mind constantly. But yeah, Memphis, Tennessee, which is where my parents live, FYI, is, you know, named after a city in Egypt. But that's why, well, I think that's why they have that giant pyramid there that used to be a basketball arena, but now it's a Bass Pro Shop. Um, yeah, I was, that's insane. I didn't realize that it had anything to do with Egypt, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. You well, learn something new every day. That's why this podcast is truly so amazing. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest pyramid in North America. I actually don't know if that's true, but I imagine that it is. I think it, it makes lists of like biggest pyramids in the world. Like, I mean, it's huge to this day. Like it's on lists with like the great pyramids and shit like that. It's just, just wild to me. Um, okay, I have a couple more. 11 down, term of address, question mark, and the answer is street name. Cute. Which makes um, you think of your street name bot topic that you did. Yeah, I know. There were a couple this week that I was like, oh, we did a topic on that and that. Um, 15 down, villain who appears late in the game. Final boss. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all I have from that one. Okay, so I'm going to take us to the Thursday, September 21st, New York Times by Dan Caprera. Last week, I talked about the board game that I play about birds called Wingspan. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring it up again, just because this theme from the Thursday puzzle from this week had to do with birds and migration. Also, I just started watching Planet uh, Our Planet 2, and like I feel like the first couple episodes, at least the theme for those episodes is migration so anyway the revealer for this puzzle 40 across seasonal phenomenon depicted six times in this puzzle and the answer is winter migration and so you'll find bird names in this puzzle so the the full answer would normally go across but instead of going all the way across the bird element of the clue goes south so they mm. travel south for the winter right Cute. okay for example, one across, director who said horror films don't create fear, they release it. Do you know the answer to this? Alfred Hitchcock. That's nice, because cock is a bird. No, Wes Craven, which has the word raven. Oh, duh. I was thinking of, uh, yeah. Okay. No, that's totally fine. So the answer, it's, this is one across, W-E-S-C was what's filled in, mm-hmm. and then the word raven is kind of turned down into the down answers oh it's sorry it's w e s c r cross and Mm -hmm. then the r going down is raven very nice nice. winter migration um let's see let's see then we've got 37 across this is i feel like this puzzle was just really good for clues as well infamous presidential denial and the answer is i am not a crook and so then you have the word rook going south Mm mm-hmm 49 across, the $10,000 pyramid host, Dick Clark, and the answer Lark was going south. Six across, center cut, question mark, Mohawk, Hawk Ooh. was going south. Pretty good, right? Um, nine across, length just over one centimeter is half inch, Finch going south. And then 58 across, how some money is held in escrow, Crow going south. Um, just a really fun theme also. I'm into birds now. I haven't started officially bird watching, but get me a pair of binoculars and it's over for you guys. I have a friend who got into bird watching over the pandemic and he like was very into it. He knew like all the different birds in the area and the different calls that they make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, this damn bird game has made me a a bird fanatic. 
um, last clue from this puzzle. It's not part of the theme, but it's just re- relevant to Grace and I's interest. 70 across. Drink that should not be served shaken. And the answer is soda, mm-hmm. which I thought was clever. And that's what I have from that puzzle. Um, okay, the last puzzle I did was the Wednesday, September 20th, New Yorker by Patrick Berry. Lots of ones in here that were old topics that we've done. Okay. Starting with one across. Famous blank cookie brand. Famous Amos. Oh, yeah. That was a good topic. Um, 35 across. This one isn't a topic, but general and private concern, question mark. And the answer is war. Thought that was clever. 53 across. Removal after saying she loves me. Pedal. A pedal. Um, topic alert. 55 across. Partici- participate in an annual scripts competition. And the answer is spell. I don't think I would have known that if I hadn't done the topic because I didn't know that scripts was the name of the big spelling competition. Um, 41 down. Insect with parasitic lar- larvae. Larva. A bot fly. I just wanted to shout this out. If you are like me and you like to watch videos of bot fly removals, <laughs> we are one and the same. Oh, so I was wondering, I was like, does she must watch those damn videos? <laughs> I do. I mean, I feel bad sometimes. Like, if you if you know the one with the monkey, if you've seen that one. The poor monkey. But, I've not seen um, that okay, one. 44 but if down. you're in that, if you're in that if subset you're in of that humans. industry, like I, or that, I don't know what's it. Subculture? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Okay, 44 down. Yodeler's range, question mark. And the answer is Alps, which I feel like we've seen before, but you did a yodeling topic. And then right next to that, 45 down, like the Mariana Trench. Deep. Which I also did. Wild. Wild. So this is another reason I have to take a break. We've done, we've covered a lot of interesting topics already. Yeah, no offense to the constructors, but we got to get a little bit more diversity in the clues here. (laughs) Right. I say to the constructors as if they're not working their asses off to put puzzles out every week. Yeah. <laughs> and you and I are like paid for their puzzles. Not much, I don't think. They get paid for their puzzles, but not much, I don't think. But sometimes you see these names over and over again. And I feel like a lot of these people also have like other jobs as well. The puzzle writing is not their main source of income, you know? Right. I mean, Patrick Berry, we see his name all the time. Right. I do know that some people do have income from puzzle writing because they're editors or you know, whatever, two different crosswords, but not everybody is. So, yeah, we're all busy. We're all busy in the cross world. It's just what mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> I don't know if I'd put ourselves at the same level of people who are getting, like, multiple crosswords published a month, but... I'm I'm a little bit delulu, but, right. you know. <laughs> um, is that all you had from that puzzle? That's all I have for Heights and Chites in general. Okay, cool. I'm going to end with another theme. There's some great themes this week, and this one comes from the Wednesday, September 20th New York Times by Gina Turner. Great name. That is great. Right? I feel like I haven't... That's the name that... Well, I don't do the New York Times as often. I feel like I don't recognize it as much. Well, sometimes I'll read the Rex Parker blog, and if I see a puzzle that looks interesting or a theme that looks interesting, I'll go and I'll do the puzzle. Um, But I I don't often actively seek out the New York Times. But I also know that Grace loves the New Yorker. I love the New Yorker, too. So I try to, like, do something that feels a little different than... You know, no, 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 I, I, I don't mind it. I don't <laughs> mind it. <laughs> I really don't, especially because I got some really good themes from this week. Anyway, so theme from this puzzle, 38 across, slow rock song with an emotional vocal delivery. And the answer is power ballad. 
but there's a second part to this theme, whose start can follow each half of 17, 31, 44, and 63 across. So the word power can be put with the different halves of each themed answer. For example, 17 across. 2015 hit for Little Mix. Little Mix is a British group that formed from Britain's Got Talent or something like that. Mm -hmm. One of those talent shows over in the UK. Um, and that's where the the girl Little Mix is the, you know that? The Jamaican accent, yeah. Yes, that. That's Little Mix. <laughs> that's all I know about them. <laughs> anyway, so this is their, this is their power ballad, quote unquote, Black Magic. But if you take the word power and you put it with black, you get black power. Or if you put it with magic, you get magic power. Ooh, okay. okay. So then, 31 across, 1971 hit for the Carpenters. And the answer is superstar. Superpower, star power. Okay. Mm -hmm. 44 across, 1972 hit for Elton John, rocket man, rocket power, man power. 63 across, 1986 hit for Steve Winwood, And a 2019 hit for Whitney Houston. Higher love, higher power, lo love power. I don't know if that actually works as great as the others, but uh, yeah, that's that's a theme. I like that a lot. I also liked seeing Little Mix in the crossword. I don't think that they're together anymore. Um, and then also from this puzzle, not related to the theme, 19 across, Tiny Pest. The answer was Flea. Tiny Pest or the world's greatest circus performer? Right. Like a pest or a hard worker? Hmm. Because they're alive in flea circuses, which I covered in episode 89 for entertainment only. So if you're curious what the hell we're talking about, listen to that. It's actually a wild ride. Um, let's see what else. What else? Oh, and 49 down. Record amount of Oscars won by a single film. I love that this is the answer is 11. And the winner of this many Oscars was Lord of the Rings Return of the King. <clears throat> I remember seeing that film in theaters and I remember watching that Oscars and how Elijah Wood and like the other hobbits would just run up on stage every single time they won and just like how deranged and with like euphoria they were by the time they won their 11th Oscar. Anyway, good memories. I love Lord of the Rings. Crazy. I'm I shocked it was that. I thought it was maybe going to be Titanic or something. Titanic was on that list. Well, everything Everywhere All at Once is on the list of like top oscar-winning films i think schindler's yeah. list is as well but yeah i think titanic was nominated for potentially more than lord of the rings but didn't win but sorry didn't james win cameron. cameron sorry jimmy cameron titanic is now like one of my favorite movies ever i loved it so much i just rewatched it recently like a couple of weeks ago i think i talked about it on the podcast from not having seen it since like i was in elementary school I was like, wow, this movie's really good. <laughs> and we've, we, we've, we, we learned that two of our friends are Titanic experts. Yeah. Both historically yeah. and like in like the film About the world. movie. It was great to watch with them. Yeah. Grace was like, I don't know if people want to watch this. And then she texted and they're like, oh, this is their favorite movie. And she was like, what? Yeah. They were like, I rewatch this at least once a year. And I thankfully had to leave early before the, the ship went down. Thank God, because I do not like the Titanic. It's not that I don't like the Titanic. It's just my anxiety is pretty bad. Right. And right. everything with the ocean. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know I get sensitive about deep sea anything. It's fair. They all enjoyed it. Molly Brown. Yeah, I got to get out early. It was it was a perfect afternoon. Yeah. Just end like after they fall in love before they hit the iceberg, and it's like very positive, happy movie. 
Well, speaking of positives, Shall is that all you have for hits and shits? I think that's all I have. Yeah. All right. I'm ready. I guess it's time to flip the coin. I'm flipping the coin now. Heads. That's you. It's been a while since I've gone first, I feel like. My topic is actually a clue I already talked about in my Hitch and Shits because I wanted to talk about the theme. And I couldn't talk about the theme without talking about the revealer because my topic comes from the revealer 34 across parameters for a construction project or read another way. It's about building glasses. So building specs. I'm talking about spectacles. Glasses. Eyeglasses, if you will, which is a fitting topic for me because I wear glasses. If you watch us on YouTube, I wear glasses. If you're listening and you've only ever listened, you've never seen my face, this must be a surprise for you. Do well, I sound well, like someone who wears glasses? You're wearing glasses in our graphic. Oh. Damn but it. But yes, you do sound like someone who wears glasses. <laughs> Speaking of someone who wears contacts. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm going to take that as a compliment. It is. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're talking about specs today. Spectacles, eyeglasses. Grace and I both are in the eyeglass sphere. We both are lens wearers, right? How long have you worn glasses, contacts? I got my first pair of glasses in second grade. And I got my first contacts in seventh. Yeah. I have very bad eyesight. I got my first pair of glasses in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And it was because I couldn't read the board from far away. That was my issue, too. But it really wasn't so bad. But my eyes got really worse really quick. Well, we've talked about before how when we were younger, like now kids' glasses are so cute. And when we were younger, it was only like the freaking Benjamin Franklin glasses. It's that were like the, the wire oval little. And like they barely cover even your... <laughs> your iris they're yeah. so small and they were always like extremely crooked and always and just so dirty too yeah our parents were not spending money on cute glasses for us that's for they didn't exist at the time either they didn't you know because i read something online i didn't include this in my research but something about like glasses for a long time were considered like disability aids which they still are to a point right that's technically yeah. a disability yeah. but because of that designation glasses weren't considered like necessarily a fashion item you know there are right. times right. when glasses came in and out of fashion as a fashion item but for a lot of like the 70s and 80s it was like a signifier that you were for lack of a better word, disabled, right? That you had yeah. something yeah. wrong with you. There was nothing cute about it. Like, they weren't making cute wheelchairs. They weren't making cute canes, you know what I mean, at this time. Yeah. Just like they weren't yeah. making cute glasses. Um, things have changed. I take pride in my glasses selection. I spend way too much money on them because it is a racket. But that's a different episode for a different time. Let's talk about glasses. So, you started wearing them when you were in second grade. I was in sixth grade. Um, and we're wearing corrective lenses. That's what we're mm -hmm. wearing. Um, I actually got my contacts when I was in seventh grade, too. But I didn't wear contacts for long. I preferred the glasses because glasses around that time, like the thick-rimmed like emo glasses became really popular. So, of course, I had to wear my thick-rimmed emo glasses. Right. Of course. Anyway, 
So there are different types of glasses. We've got corrective glasses, safety glasses, sunglasses, 3D glasses, blue light blocking glasses, and many more. Uh, but for our purposes, I'll be talking mostly about the beginnings of corrective lenses. So lenses used to make things clearer to the naked eye or easier to read. Let's jump right into it. Using glass as a magnifying tool dates back to ancient Rome. Pliny the Elder wrote that Emperor Nero would watch gladiator, gladiator games through polished emeralds to see the events more clearly. And this is around 37 and 68 AD. So a long, long time ago. Then Ptolemy published a book in the second century called Optics, which was on geometrical optics dealing with reflection, refraction, and color. Uh, apparently, this text is entirely lost in the original Greek. It was translated into Latin and then into Arabic, and the remaining text is badly damaged and not really usable. But that was like the first known writings that we have on using glass for vision, right? Mm -hmm. Or just first writing on optics, like how we see, how does light refl reflect, refract, etc. So this translation into Arabic is important because it was during the Islamic Golden Age that advancements were first made to Ptolemy's writing. So the Islamic Golden Age was a period of scientific, economic, and cultural flourishing in the history of Islam, and it's traditionally dated from the 8th century to the 13th century. Um, notable advances were made by two men, Ibn, Ibn Shal, who was a Persian Muslim mathematician and physicist, and Hassan Ibn al-Haytham, Latinized as Al-Hazan, was a medieval mathematician, astronomer, and a physicist. Damn, these people were working overtime, right? Like right, they just did right. everything. So Ibn Shal was the first Muslim scholar to have studied Ptolemy's uh, optics. He dealt with the optical properties of curved mirrors and lenses, um, and he is described as the discoverer of the law of refraction, which is essentially um, a formula that describes the relationship between light and angles and how light waves pass through a boundary such as water, glass, or air. He invented that. Interesting. And that is a hugely important thing for optics. Right. We take that for granted, the fact how, how we can see light come through a, a, like a piece of glass or how light hits water. You know when light hits water and like you have a straw, but the straw looks like it's kind of set off to the side? It's not yeah. like perfect. That's what the law of uh, refraction is talking about. He studied that and he, he came up with that law. Um. He did so much more than this, like inventing and designing various lens shapes, such as the anaclastic or aspherical lenses, which is used in lenswear, like for your glasses, but also for cameras. A lot of this is like science-y, so mm -hmm. just trust the process, <laughs> folks. Trust the process. Okay, the next guy, Hassan ibn al-Hayatham, also al-Hazan is the Latinized version of his name is referred to as the father of modern optics uh, due to his contributions to the principles of optics and visual perception. Uh, his most influential work is titled Book of Optics, which is what it's called in English, and it was written between 1011 and 1021. Um, works like this and his other writings were frequently cited during the scientific revolution by Isaac Newton, uh, Kepler, and Galileo Galilei. So this guy was a big deal. You know, when you got Newton being like, he knew what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. 
you know, the father of optics is not a name given lightly, okay? Mm-mm. So he was incredibly accomplished. A few of his accomplishments. He was the first to correctly explain the theory of vision and to argue that vision occurs in the brain, which is wild. Uh, his writings also included principles that eventually developed into Fermat's principle, which is a huge principle in optics, which basically states that the path taken by a ray of light between two given points is the path that can be traveled in the least amount of time. So that light rays are always going to be traveling by the fastest path. That is a redux version of this principle, but mm-hmm. he is the first person to talk about this. Um he also made con- contributions to the study of reflection, refraction, and the nature of images formed by light rays. Um, also, side note, this has nothing really to do specifically with optics, uh, but he was an early proponent of the concept that a hypothesis must be supported by experiments um, based on procedures and reasoning, an early pioneer of the scientific method five centuries before the Renaissance. Okay. Wow. He was really ahead of his time. Yes. And he is sometimes described as the world's first true scientist. So this man was doing it all. And he wasn't just doing math or science or physics or anything. He was do he was writing in philosophy and all sorts of things. He was I man, mean and we can't even commit to a podcast. <laughs> he's a, he's the real deal. And he is the the father of modern optics, okay? It was in the 12th century that Latin translations of Alhazan's work became available in Europe, and around the same time, the development of reading stones occurred. So a reading stone is a an approximately hemispherical lens, so just like spherical on one side, <clears throat> that can be placed on top of a text to magnify the letters so that they can be read more easily. This is hilarious to me because my dad... I, I, for as long as I can remember, he had a magnifying glass that he would put over newspapers and he would read. Yeah. I was thinking I bought something like that for my grandparents one year for Christmas and they loved it. They used it all the time. Right. And this was like before my dad sucked it up and realized he needed to get glasses. He was like, I'm yeah. the only one in the family that doesn't need glasses. It's like, well, you do because you need a magnifying <laughs> glass to read that piece of paper on the table. Anyway. Uh so the invention of these reading stones uh, can be credited to a man named Abbas ibn Firnas uh, in the 19th, the 9th century, although the regular use of reading stones began around uh, 1000 AD. Uh, these stones were made from rock crystal, quartz, beryl, and glass. Um, also, I just want to say, like, as a side note, there's only so much information you can get on the internet. You know, you have to do thick research in, in the mm-hmm. stacks as it were. Um, there are also claims of single lens magnifying glasses being used in China between the years 960 and 1127. China has a lot of contributions to optics that were referenced or alluded to in all of the sources that I found, but I couldn't find like a ton of information. If you have information on Chinese optics, feel free to write to me. But I just want to say that like sometimes you know, we can't cover the full scope of everything, you know, but right. I do even recognize that there are other cultures that were, you know, creating advancements in optics as well at the same time. But, okay, eyeglasses as we know them didn't really come around until the second half of the 13th century. A lot of sources might say that the first set of eyeglasses was created by a man named Sil- Salvino Darmati, some Italian guy. In Italy, during the 13th century, 
though it's more likely that the glasses were developed by many people collectively in the 13th century. Right, because a lot of people are like, I can't see anything. <laughs> exactly. And reading stones were big, and people are just trying to figure out, like, how can I make reading stones so I don't have to carry it in my pocket and, like, put it down on that paper? Like, why can't my eyes just be better? So then right. some lucky bastard was like, okay, let's put reading stones on our face instead of on the paper. So the first pair of what we would consider eyeglasses appeared in the late 2000, uh, not 2000, sorry, 1200 in Pisa uh, and looked more like two small magnifying glasses. So made up of those like convex lens uh, shaped glass and then riveted together at the top of their handles. So imagine like the opera style. Yeah, you've got your your magnifying glasses with their. They're like um, their handles, right? Mm hmm. And they kind of riveted together here and you could hold them. That's amazing. What they used to look like. I guess people weren't driving back then. So, so. no, they weren't. Well, at least they weren't driving automobiles. They had horses. Yeah, yeah. And the horses could see. The horses could see just fine. Hopefully. Other primitive early forms of glasses had glass blown lenses set into wooden or leather frames or occasionally frames made from animal horn. Um, and Basically, they were held before the face uh, or perched on the nose. They didn't have the temples here, like the little arms. Who finally thought, like, you know what? Let's just attach them to our ears. That was a huge advancement. Yeah, you are getting there. These early glasses were mostly used by monks and eventually grew in popularity throughout the Renaissance. Glass blowers would make different lenses of different thickness based on rudimentary vision testing. So depending on how bad your glasses dictated how thick. Or how bad your vision was to pick, like, determine how thick your glasses were. I mean, we've all met somebody. When you look at them from the side, they got those thick. Those are mine. My, my glass, my lenses are so expensive because they're, like, um, you know. Thick boys. Made to be thin, but they you still, they, like, are popping out. Yeah. I mean, mine are popping out, too, but they're not, I don't think, as bad as yours. Right. Well, but. I've been stable, though, for those who'd like to know. My eyes, I didn't change in the past year. Maybe Good I'm job. finally stuck at my, like, negative 6.75 or whatever. To ask what mine is. I think I'm only, I can't, I never ask. I always forget. I should look at my, I, um, I see it on my contact lens case. My contact lens box. Yeah. So, Grace just asked, when do glasses become hands-free? So, the next great advancement in glasses didn't happen until the 1700s, which is crazy. And that is when glasses became hands-free with the development of the temples to extend over the ears. Uh, that's, that's when it happened. Somebody was like, let's put them over the ears. Uh, the most famous of these more modern glasses include Martin's Margins, spectacles developed by inventor Benjamin Martin. Um, and Benjamin Martin not only added the temples, but he pursued a more accurate um, lens development and thinner lenses supported by durable frames. Now, wait a fucking minute. Okay, what about the legend, the man, the myth himself, longtime friend of the podcast, Mr. Benny Franks? Mm -hmm. You may have heard that Benjamin Franklin invented eyeglasses. And that is wrong. He clearly wrong. He did not invent eyeglasses um, because they'd already been around for 400 years by the time the 1700s rolled around um, when Benny Franks was alive. Franklin is actually credited for inventing bifocals in the midst of the 1700s, which I think is wild to me. Um, he split one lens in half, 
with the upper part being made for distance viewing and the lower part being made for near viewing. And he put them together in one single glass, which I think is still how they kind of make bifocals today. It's a little bit more, um, it's not as rudimentary as half and half, you know, right. I think <laughs> the, the one is like really small in the front and the rest is the regular part of the, whatever. Um, so here's a, a little like a line that Franklin wrote to London philanthropist George Watley in May of 1785, quote, as I wear my own glasses constantly, I have only to move my eyes up or down, as I want to see distantly, far or near, the proper glasses being always ready, end quote. What an advertisement for bifocals. We should put that on all bifocal advertisements moving forward. Right. Um, interestingly, my aunt needs, well, she doesn't need um, ones to see far away, but she needs like reading glasses, but she just wears one contact. That's like how they do it for contacts. Like one is a bifocal. And it her That's brain, crazy. And the, they're like, your brain will just adjust. And like that eye will take over when you're reading close up. Well, that's what Al-Hazan said. Vision happens in the brain. Mm -hmm. Not that I really fully understand what the hell that means. But it's crazy to think how quickly your brain can adjust. Like when you get a new pair of glasses with a new prescription. I mean, even I have, like yeah like i used to get seasick or like motion sick walking downstairs with new yeah, glasses yeah. because you're just like oh whatever even <laughs> i have multiple pairs of glasses with the same prescription even changing from these frames to a different pair of frames i kind of have to like give myself a minute because my other frames are bigger you know so i'm like mm -hmm. I have a wider field of vision i feel like i can i can see more clearly because it's just so much more glass on my face but I'm like, okay, wait a second. Let's just sit on the couch and breathe this through, you know? It's wild. Don't say she's Don't never say been she's through never anything. anything. <laughs> I have a hard life, okay? Uh, okay, moving along. Another invention was the scissor spectacles, which I included because I just love the name scissor spectacles. These were glasses that could be stored in the pocket and taken out when needed for seeing something important. Some men did not enjoy wearing glasses full time. So these were the answer. Pocket glasses that could be folded up on a hinge like a pair of scissors. Those still exist. My father-in-law uses them. <laughs> Future father-in-law, I should say. Some things never go out of style. I'll tell you They're what. literally like James Bond, like Inspector Gadget type things. <laughs> like he pulls them out. He's like, chick, 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 chick. I would love to see that. Could you record him doing it one time? Yes, I would love to yes. see it. Thank you. This is what our friendship is based off of, just weird little things like that. Grace sending me out of nowhere a video of her father-in-law opening scissor glasses or scissor spectacles. Anyway, those are scissor spectacles. It wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that glasses began becoming more mass-produced, both the frames and the lenses, so working-class men and women were able to afford them for the first time, which of course made it possible for lenses and frames to become more of a fashion element. So like I said earlier, glasses kind of went in and out of style as like fashion accessories so frames were different shapes materials colors they became available to those who wanted glasses to match their face shape eye color or outfit um for example theodore roosevelt wore pince-nez spectacles which had no earpieces but instead stayed in place with a nose clip which sounds absolutely miserable to me you gotta have i nose feel that. you really do if i feel my glasses on my nose no I have a different pair of frames that had like the nose pads and mm -hmm. I only wear them for like dress up events because they're so uncomfortable after like four hours, you know? Right. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like, and didn't he ride horses and stuff? <sighs> yeah, he rode horses. He did all. He was hunting. He was doing all sorts of things with those. And they stayed on his face. Head. How tight he must have had multiple pairs because that's crazy. That's crazy. Anyway, also styles changed due to the availability of new materials. So they weren't just being made from wood, metal, or horn anymore. They're now being made from plastic. So that's essentially the history of spectacles as we know and wear them and love them. Obviously, tons more of advanced scientific-like things have happened in the last even 50 years, but I'm not going to bore you with the science. Right. I mean, they, can, they blow into your eye now, and they can tell if you have glaucoma. They're like, good, you look good in there, kid. Yeah. I got to go to the di- eye doctor. I haven't been in a while. You have, you should be going every year. Oh, I know, I know. I Just missed... for your eye health, not even. No, I, no, I know. I, I missed my, it was supposed to be earlier this year, and I didn't go. That's what I'm saying is like, I'm overdue for my year appointment. I feel like eye doctor is like the best doctor to go to as far as like anxiety of going to them like it's always so chill and i feel like everyone who works at an eye doctor's place is like has such calm energy for sure and i like my eye doctor a lot yeah it's hard when you it's hard to find like a doctor that you like going to you know like my allergist a top tier yeah my eyeglass like my optometrist top tier that's just but my i've always loved my eye doctors i feel like it just attracts a certain type of person yeah, it's true. And you, there's a kindred spirit between between people who wear glasses full time. Yeah. Sorry, I don't. I'm a contacts wearer. My problem is, like, I just feel like I can't see as well out of my glasses. So I feel like, you know, uncertain. I, I got contacts, like, a couple years ago, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, because I just wanted to, like, have them in case of whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were going on the trapeze or something. Exactly, exactly. Um I have never seen that clear in my life. <laughs> it literally felt like the sharpness of the world was turned up. Right. It was a talk about needing to get used to it. I would like sit on the couch and be like, and everything is clear. You know, with glasses, you have, there's a cutoff point. Yeah. Of, where, of what you can see. And like, that's my reality. That's been my reality since like seventh or eighth grade. I've just worn glasses. So they put those damn contacts in, I was like, I can see clearly now. But you didn't stick with it. See, I feel like once once I went contacts, I could not go back. You decided that you didn't need to be seeing things that clearly. No, I don't I don't care. Was, and honestly, the decision came down to a fashion choice. I prefer my face with glasses. That's how Alex is too. And you know how I feel about my face without glasses. Okay. I feel like everyone who wears glasses has like a weird hang up that they think they look so weird without glasses, but I feel like they don't they're just people are used to saying them with glasses but anyways not gonna get into that i i I love your glasses i think glasses are great i personally don't like to wear them because i just like i can't see that well and they give me a headache so but i love glasses yeah before we hop into grace's topic um just an apology if the audio sounds a little weird this episode of course it's the episode where we announced our break um but i realized that my headphones weren't working about 99% of the way through my topic. So I might have to use the Zoom audio for this. We'll see. I just wanted to throw it out there for anybody who's listening and wondering why the audio might be sounding weird this episode. And it's because I messed up. Classic me. Um, but yeah, now now we can go to Grace's topic and we'll just go from there. 
My topic comes from the Wednesday, September 20th New Yorker by Patrick Barry, 15 down, Mattel toy that answers back, question mark. And the answer is Magic 8 Ball. <gasps> I'm talking about the Magic 8 Ball. <gasps> what an exciting topic. It kind of is like has spooky season vibes since we're entering into spooky season now. Ooh, yes. Um, have you ever used a Magic 8 Ball? My sources oh, yeah. say yes. <laughs> Your sources would be right, because I have. I love Magic 8-Ball. I've tried themed ones before, too, that are, like, Harry Potter themed or something, you know, that they have, mm -hmm. like, I'm trying to, like, right. recall all of my memories. Yeah. Now I need to get a Magic 8 After doing this topic, I'm like, I need one. Of um, course you do. I'm surprised that you don't now that we're talking about it. You know, I know. It, I it really matches your vibe. Like my vibe, and I would, like, yeah. use it religiously. But, yeah. okay, <clears throat> we're going to talk about Magic 8-Balls. <laughs> are they part of... The occult. Why did they get marketed to kids? And why are billiards involved? Well, hmm. I have the answer for you. So let's talk about the actual toy. So the Magic 8-Ball, okay. it is shaped like an 8-pull ball. It's slightly bigger than an actual pool ball. And hmm. inside the ball, there is a cylindrical reservoir that contains a white plastic 20-sided die. I didn't realize that. There were 20. Yeah. Um, the dye is it's floating. Twenty. <laughs> it's floating in alcohol that's dyed blue, and each of the dye's twenty faces has either an affirmative, a negative, or a non-committal statement printed in raised letters. And you know, when you flip the magic eight ball a certain way, the dye floats to the top, and you can read whatever message is, you know, whatever message is through a little window in the ball. And in like, I think it was in the the two thousands. They came out with a new one. Maybe it was in the 90s. They came out with a new version that stopped it from having like a bubble issue. So if you ever like had that issue with Magic 8-Ball where there would be uh, a bubble on top, they've made a new one that was like had like anti-bubble technology. So. Oh, my God. I love it. But yeah. So there's 20 possible answers you can get from an 8-Ball and they're more positive than you may think. So 10 of the 20 answers are affirmative, 5 okay. are negative, and 5 are non-committal. So. Interesting. Um, okay, but how did it all start? Well, it all began Tom. with a man named Albert C. Carter in the 1940s. So Carter was the son of a Cincinnati clairvoyant, and he found himself surrounded by all things mystical because his mom was a clairvoyant medium. A Cincinnati Her clairvoyant? Right. Lucky. Her name was Laura C. Cooper Pruden, and she was a pretty popular medium in Cincinnati. Albert was always interested in her work, um, particularly by one of her services tricks whatever you want to call it this is what the majority of our clients came to her for um she used a psycho slate so what is a psycho slate mm. how do they work basically the medium and the sitter take their seats at opposite ends of a small table they each grab a corner of an ordinary school slate like a mini chalkboard um they put a chalk piece of chalk between the slate and the bottom of the table and they both hold it. And then um, if the seance is successful, a scratching sound like writing on a chalkboard is heard at the end of a few moments. Three loud raps indicate the end of the message. And then when the medium takes out the slate, it has a message on it. It's either a general message from the spirit world or an answer to a question that was asked by the sitter. So how did these actually work? If it wasn't a spirit, maybe it was. Um, but the theory is that some mediums would prepare slates beforehand and substitute it for the slate under the table when they pulled it back up, like, you know, kind of a quick change. Or Got if it, it was a short answer, they would write it um, 
write the answer under the table with like a thimble apparatus that had a chalk on it. You know, if it was just writing like a Y or something for mm. yes or N for no. Either way, at the time, no one was quite sure exactly how Miss Cooper Pruden pulled it off. And it's probably safe to say that seeing his mother do this is what inspired Albert to create his own version of the psycho slate that didn't require any psychic ability. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So in 1944, Carter completed the device that he would call the psycho seer. Spelled S-Y-C-O. So um, the result was a liquid filled tube that had a clear window on each end and inside the liquid was a die with different phrases written on the side. By turning the tube upright, the die would rise to the window, revealing response to the user's question. So similar mechanics to how the eight ball work. But yeah, it was just yep. like a, a sphere. Um, and apparently molasses was used as one of, in one of the early prototypes as like oh, the liquid right. inside. <laughs> Carter presented the prototype to a local Cincinnati store owner, Max Levinson, and Levinson immediately was in and he wanted to mass produce um, the Psycho Seer. And so oh, yeah. he accomplished this. Levinson contacted his brother-in-law, Abe Bookman, and Abe Bookman was one of the main people who made the Magic 8-Ball happen. So, okay. Abe was a first-generation American born to Russian Jewish parents. He was a smart and savvy businessman. He graduated from the Ohio Mechanics Institute in 1920. And so because of this, Carter and Levinson turned to him to, for him to figure out, like, how do we produce the psycho seer on a larger scale? Mm -hmm. So Abe was in. They formed a novelty company called Alabe Crafts, Inc., which is a combination of Abe and Albert's first name. <laughs> All right. In 1946. And under Abe's guidance, Alabe -Lab, Crafts <laughs> produced and marketed the Psycho Seer as a miracle home fortune teller. So Carter, the original guy, he applied for a patent for his liquid-filled dice agitator, which is what, like, the technical patent is for the eight ball, mm -hmm. on, in 1944, but unfortunately, he didn't live to see it granted in 1948. So it's unclear of, you know, what happened to him or why he died, but most sources state that he, um, you know, partied a lot, had an alcohol problem, but he died before the patent Sad. was granted. Luckily for... Alabe Crafts, um, Carter had shared the patent assignment credit with Bookman and Levinson, so wow. they were able to still create the product. Mm -hmm. um, and just a side note about Alabe Crafts, they did enjoy, eventually, con um, had like considerable popularity as a novelty company during its heyday in the 40s and 50s, producing such classic toys as Hook-A-Crook and 3D Chess. Less popular, however, was Poverty Pup, a dog-shaped piggy bank, which debuted in 1967. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so following Carter's passing, a bookman spearheaded and redesigned the Psycho Seer. In order to reduce production costs, he removed one end of the tube, making it so it was just like just a one single window mm -hmm. to view the die. And with this change, he decided to rebrand the Psycho Seer as the Psycho Slate, the pocket fortune teller. So you want to carry mm. you could carry this around with you everywhere. Um, and then in 1948, Bookman opted for another redesign because he wanted to, like, tie in the marketing theme of being a fortune-telling device. So mm -hmm. he placed the Psychoslate inside, the, the Psychoslate tube inside of a crystal ball. And this didn't do anything to improve sales, but it caught the attention of Brunswick Billiards, who in 1950 were on the lookout for a fun item to use as a potential giveaway to promote their Chicago-based billiards company. Are you kidding? So... Bookman was like, yes, 
like I want to create a product for you. He changed the design once again, replacing the crystal ball with the iconic black eight ball we know today. Oh my God. So why the eight ball and not the other, any of the other billiard yeah. balls? Well, many people think it may have been inspired by a Three Stooges movie that features a fortune teller using an eight ball instead of a crystal ball. Of oh. course. And that movie had come out like a long time, you know, maybe like yeah. 40 years before. Yeah. Um, of course, in that film, someone ends up smacking the eight ball against someone's head, breaking it open and revealing a note inside. But it's basically like, you know, a crystal a fortune teller, like trying to look into an eight ball. So yeah, that yeah, may yeah. have been the reason why they chose that ball that is so interesting Mm -hmm. once the promotion ended um abe decided to like still keep up this eight ball design because people seem to love it with the the builders promotion he then went on to market the magic eight ball as a paperweight for adults so originally it was a toy then it became a paperweight but then he noticed that there was like it had a lot of popularity among children so then he remarketed it back as a toy and with that the magic eight ball quickly found its footing in 1971, Bookman sold Alabe Crafts and the Magic 8-Ball to Ideal Toys. Today, the ball is owned by Mattel, who claims to sell a million Magic 8-Balls every year. In 2011, wow. Time Magazine named the Magic 8-Ball as one of the all-time 100 greatest toys. So, Wow. I am going to, since it's almost spooky season, I want to touch on a cultural phenomenon at the time that led to mediums like Carter's Mother and Psychic Toys like the 8-Ball and the Ouija board to become popular. Yeah, please. So in the 1800s and 1930s, people were really obsessed with fortune telling games. Mm. Um, and it was like tied into Halloween. So trick or treating didn't become popular in the States until the 50s. And before then, the thing to do on Halloween was to have a party and it was mostly for adults. And a mm. lot of these parties had fortune telling games with one of the main objects being for young women to find out if they would be married soon. Of course. <gasps> of course. Um, so Anne, Anna Margaret Price described one common game in an October 1897 article for Ladies Home Journal entitled Merry Halloween Games. Quote, great amusement may be had by placing two hickory nuts on the hearth in front of an open fire. One nut is supposed to represent the girl who places it there, and the other, her, and the other, her, as yet undeclared but mentally chosen, lover. Should the nuts burn brightly, a happy marriage will result. Should the nut named after the man jump toward the nut named after the girl, she may expect a proposal before the new next moon. So there was like, you know, a bunch of little games to play like that. There was also tea leave reading, which we've done a topic about. We talked about. Um, and then there is another one, which I think I talked about in the Halloween episode, or I forget which one, but basically where like you would go in front of a mirror with a candle and see if you could like blow out the candle and see if you see the shadow of your future husband or whatever. Oh my God. Yeah. Also, a lot of these fortune-telling games involved apples. So apples were sometimes hung from the ceiling from strings and plucked with teeth. The color of the chosen apple could mean future wealth, love, or luck. Apples were also tossed at a target for luck, and apple seeds were used to tell fortunes in other games. So it makes sense that apples were popular in Halloween games um, right. because they were and in season. And for apples. We, right. We, we that's that, kind of yeah. where that came from. Like, that's, that's why crazy. apples are a Halloween thing because they're in season at the time. Right. Um. There's a book on, it's on Google Books, like the whole, a PDF of everything called Games for Halloween by Mary E. Blaine that was written in 1912. It has a whole bunch of different games, these types of games, and also guidelines <gasps> for throwing a Halloween party. And if I can remember, I will link in the episode description. If not, you can just Google it. It's it's like free to look at the PDF, but um, she gives like, it's like when you throw a Halloween party, all the lights should be off. Only jack-o'-lanterns should like light the living room and... <gasps> 
It's like the decorations should be grotesque. It's amazing. Um, but this is an example of a game she has. So the flower test. A bowl is filled tightly with flour. During the process of filling, a wedding ring is inserted vertically in some part of it. The bowl, when full, is inverted upon a dish and withdrawn, leaving the mound of flour on the dish. Each guest cuts off with a knife a thin slice which crumbles into dust. The guest who cuts off the slice containing the ring will be married first. It's all, like, weird games like that. I mean, like, people were literally obsessed with being married. Um, (laughs) There's nothing else to do. Right. And then... I'm just going to end with an example of a a potential invite because she's like, these are ways you can invite people to your Halloween party. Cute. Witches and choice spirits of darkness will hold high carnival at my house Wednesday, October 31st at 8 o'clock. Come prepare to test your fate. Costume, witches, ghosts, etc. (gasps) So we should throw a Halloween party just following this book. Are you kidding me? But I said, will you be celebrating this year as I see it? Yes. (laughs) That's one of the things in a magic eight ball you're so creative (laughs) oh my god oh my god i'm so excited for halloween i'm so excited for spooky season i know spooky season but yeah i mean it's interesting like how obsessed we're also like the reason why ouija boards were popular too was because a lot of people were dying at that time right (laughs) so you wanted to talk to the dead but there was definitely this obsession with fortune telling the occult and fortune telling Mm-hmm. yeah and seances communing with the dead that kind of thing mm-hmm. so many people are dying you know during the civil war victorian times yeah wild i but that's the magic eight ball for you that's the magic eight ball and i need i need one you need one um and i truly cannot wait to do spooky activities i know i can't wait i haven't decorated yet i need to decorate oh uh, we decorated like oh good 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 the day after when you were like, you guys don't have decorations up yet? I'm surprised. It was like the day after. It's like, we need to put decorations up. <laughs> yeah, because Grace Grace is always like, right after my birthday, it's spooky season. And that's true. And I feel like everybody should use that metric for their own spooky season uh, shenanigans. So we were going over Grace's like soon after her birthday, like recently after her birthday. Actually, it was later than that, like a couple weeks after your birthday or something. No, no. It was like a week at that point. Was it a week? Okay. Well, I was like, oh, you know. I bet you Grace's her decorations up. And if she doesn't, I'm going to say something. And she didn't. And I was shocked. But Grace has been so busy. So I will give you that. But I was still shocked. Yeah. I'm getting married in like less than a month. And I'm it's just, true. Oh, an October wedding would be so fun. Like I would love to have my anniversary in October because my future wife and I both love Halloween in October. Yeah. And it, it will be amazing. But it's like, this is cutting into my spooky season. I already have like my entire <laughs> month of activities planned because I was like, I need to just like have stuff on the calendar now because I'm not going to not yeah. celebrate. Well, yeah, because you got your wedding, you go have the honeymoon. Like, mm-hmm. But I am so excited. I'm going to be in Mexico City in October. And I'm really hoping that they'll put up some Day of the Dead decorations up yeah. earlier in October. Not, I know like the big you know, parades and stuff aren't till the end of the month, but I'm hoping mm-hmm. that they'll be like open so those out and stuff. So I hope so too for you. I can't yeah. wait to watch our shows. Yeah, it's gonna be great. We're gonna have a good time. It, tell us your spooky season plans because that's what we're living for. Every year we're just counting down to spooky season right. and counting down. And last year I convinced Chelsea to go to a haunted house and she actually liked it, people. And she's willing, she wants to go again this year. So I'll go again. I wanna go again. It was good. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. They're wild. They really are. <laughs> well, this is right I to guess, us. Goodbye for now, but um, 
We'll be back. Please write to us. We're still on Twitter and, you know, everywhere. So you can find us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. Yes, please write to us. Let us know your spooky season plans. We will be back. We promise in 2024. Refreshed. Hilarious. Etc. As always. So we'll see you then. We'll see you soon. In the meantime. Keep curious, as always. Please keep curious, and we'll we'll see you soon, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.